right, so something that most of you probably don't know about me is that I actually enjoy watching MMA fights. Like when that became a thing years ago, I was pretty much on board. Now, I don't watch them too often anymore, in part because there's like bikini-clad women, right? And they're not my wife, so I don't do that. And then also, there's like this whole thing. It takes like four hours to get to the main fight. I'm like, I don't have time for that. It starts at midnight. No way. I don't, so I don't watch much of the actual fights, but I do watch the highlights a lot. And for me, there's something about getting two guys together who are just like going at it. I know they have like the whole women's side of MMA, but I've got two girls. I got plenty of fighting happening at home. I don't need to watch it. It's like preschool edition at our house. And then... I'm watching these two guys, these athletes just going at it, getting all bruised and bloody. And there's something about the competition of it that's really uh, intense to me. I knew a guy at Liberty, one of the guys on my dorm, he was getting into it. He was like a whatever tier below maybe amateur, which might be just be guys fighting in a room. But he was showing me just a lot of the stuff and learning about it. It was very interesting and uh, kind of helped me just learn about it. So looking at all that, and I just find myself so interested with these, with these fights, particularly when it's like a YouTube star, influencer guy, whatever the term is now that they've given for guys who have trending videos, and then an actual professional athlete, <laughs> and they go at it and they fight. I know right now there's like this big thing with uh, Elon Musk and uh, Zuckerberg and they like have a fight, and I'm like, I have no interest in watching two nerds fight. <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's totally dumb. That's like watching when they do the puppies in the, in the World Cup and they try to figure out who's gonna win based on these dogs and like this is worthless but the MMA fighting comes to mind in light of the story with Jonah so first of all anybody you watch this guy anyone watch MMA stuff you guys know what I'm talking about some of you are like what letters are you saying right now mixed martial arts all right so I'm reminded of that with Jonah's story because here We've gone through it now for three weeks. In real time in Jonah's life, we're probably talking several hours, maybe, maybe half a day or so with the storm and the discussion among the crew and then him getting tossed over the ship. Like, so there's probably like a lot shorter time. In our case, we have several weeks. But I'm reminded of this because here you have Jonah going toe-to-toe with God with several different rounds of what it is that God is trying to do to get Jonah's attention. He starts with this storm, what we looked at, and then the crew you know, getting in his face on stuff, and some of that's even today, and then it ends with this great fish. And it makes me just wonder, you know, are, are you in a spot where you're, you're in the octagon right now with God, and, and he's trying to get your attention, and you think it's a badge of honor to go a lot of rounds? Let me just it's not. Stop at the first one if you can. And allow yourself to learn whatever God may be teaching you. How do you respond when God is trying to get your attention? Do you feel closed off to him? Do you disagree? Wrestle? You know, I think uh, for those of you who are parents of of children, maybe even uh, some of you have lots of children. And you can look at each one and all their responses to your discipline or your correction or whatever it may be and how each one may respond differently to that. For us in our lives, you know, we're all responding to God differently. My challenge for us as we're studying the life of Jonah is to learn from that and to find ourselves trying to be a good listener and a recipient 
of God's mercy. Because again, the book of Jonah is this giant story of God's mercy to Jonah, to the crew, to the people of Nineveh, and even for us as we're learning from this. So how long will you have to fight God? Perhaps three rounds like Jonah. Let's read this section of chapter one. We're gonna finish it. As I walk through it, I'm gonna make comments through almost every verse or every little section because it's just so so good and we just see this general takeaway and application of responding to God's mercy and, uh, and not continuing to fight. So, chapter one. If you have the book of Jonah or the Bible, open to Jonah. And chapter one, verse seven. It starts off this way. And they, they being the crew. So they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. They're talking about the giant storm that's happening. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Okay, so throughout this story, throughout Jonah's life, in those four very small chapters, it's one, of the, it's one of the few, if not in this case, Jonah is the only prophet that has a, uh, you know, they're called minor prophets, but it's all those books that are really small in the Old Testament. Most of you just like glance through them. Sometimes it's hard for me to find them. Even earlier, I was like, where's Jonah again? And it's hard to find. Well, Jonah's the only one where we have a whole lot more about his life and this situation leading up to the sermon that he preaches than we have the actual message, which is just one verse. All the other prophets, it's like almost all sermon and very little things about their own personal lives. In this case, we have all these stories, and it helps us to see this overt thread of God's hand orchestrating details to get Jonah's attention. These things were not coincidence. You know, fundamentally, God does this in our lives because he wants us to fulfill what he has for us. So God coordinates certain details because he wants our heart. He wants our complete surrender. He wants our full devotion. He wants our yes on the table. I'll, I'll describe it this way. Ultimately, God wants our attention and our worship and our affection and our attunement because he is God and we are his creation. And more than that, for those of us who are born again, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and his blood has washed you white as snow, and then we are his children. We're adopted into his royalty. And so if God has taken you through the octagon of life, he's doing it to draw you to himself, not just to do some more religious activities. He's doing it because he desires you to change your priorities, to fulfill what he's calling you to do, and to be made more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So Jonah may have assumed he could escape God, but he's in God's disciplinary and corrective crosshairs. Everything from a rolled dice like these cast lots to a great fish was in the tool in God's toolbox. And none of this is coincidence and none of it was just left to natural consequences like a storm or physics like, I don't know, the dice or aquatic behavior with the fish. And so let's ask ourselves, how well do you listen when God speaks? If God sent a storm, would you listen? If God sent a rebuke from a captain, maybe a, a supervisor at work or something, would you wake up? If God sent a giant fish to swallow you whole, would you realize it even when it's happening? What incidents has God used to get your attention? Or is he using now to get your attention? And deep down, you know that these were not natural occurrences. It wasn't serendipitous, but it was God. He's saying, I'm gonna get your attention in this way. 
Incidents can include, not always, God getting your attention, but often. He uses these sorts of means. He might use sickness. He might use problems at work or school. He might use failures in certain efforts. You know, nothing is going right, and you just don't know why it's not. Well, he doesn't want that to happen. He's closing doors. It could be the loss of a loved one. It could be losses in business. It could be losses in friendship, um, in part even because we've pushed godly people out of our lives because we have been running the opposite direction. It could be even just a sense of feeling lost, this deep lack of satisfaction and purpose. You once had it, and now you don't have it. You don't know what's going on. God uses all sorts of means to get our attention. Is he trying to get your attention today? We've been talking about this now, the same sub-theme for three weeks, and I like that. Maybe it feels repetitive for us, but the reality is we need to think through and, and really allow it to soak in. In what, in what ways is God trying to get our attention so the lot, it fell on Jonah, and the crew, they turned their attention to Jonah. So verse 8, they said to him, tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what, of what people are you? You can almost, you can almost imagine several different people all kind of crowded around him, and, and these are different questions from the different men all standing around yelling in his face. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So the crew knew that something was different about this storm. This is a, like a sailing crew. So they're familiar with storms. Something was different about this one. It had a divine label for it. They were not alarmed out of superstition or something like this. And, and it seems with Jonah's reply that there starts to be a little bit of a turning point in his mind with what's happening here. He doesn't lie because he easily could have just lied about it, but he doesn't. And he doesn't hide the truth. He allows everyone <coughs> on the ship to, uh, to know what's going on. He could have just kept it to himself and then allowed that ship to sink and he just sinks along with him. And then maybe a fish would come get him or something. But no, he was at least uh, upright in that matter. And in this moment, he is honest uh, about what's happening. So Jonah explained that he was a Hebrew and that even though he was running away from God's call, he could confidently say that he feared the Lord. Now the crew, they may have previously heard stories about this God, Yahweh, some of his actions. Maybe it was King David defeating Goliath. That was still kind of a prominent, well-known hundreds of years later, very famous story. It's famous to us today, thousands of years later. It it could be that they were familiar with Elijah. He was pretty um, like short before this era. Maybe they heard the story of the fire that came down and consumed that altar. And, uh, and, and maybe they're familiar with, with, with God. And even if they had never heard this guy's name before, they would have found themselves saying, well, it seems clear that this whole storm is because of Yahweh, this God that you worship. And whatever they previously knew in this moment, you know, they were collateral damage to Jonah's disobedience. And so we pause in that moment of this story to remember that 
there is consequences for, there are consequences for our actions, for our disobedience and for our sin. We tend to live in such an individualized society that we forget that our sin affects others. It has a communal impact and it could in, in, in great ways. You know, if you look at porn, you might think it's a private act, but it actually, all sorts of things happen, but it makes you disengaged as a friend or as a spouse or as a father or a mother to your kids. Wasteful spending and other unhealthy habits, they are not merely a personal choice. It affects your God-given responsibility to worship in all that you do and not drown in the world's consumables. Another common example of being... Um, uh, kind of allowing your sin to affect others is if you're minimally involved in your church family. So if you're visiting here, you know, when you go home, be involved with wherever you are. Our community is not only what you get out of it, but what you can contribute. And uh, in fact, I'd say it's, it's uh, more what you can contribute than what you can receive. Because when we give of ourselves, God fills our cup. But if you were to say, well, I don't want to go to church today, I don't want to go to a group, I don't want to serve on this weekend, I don't want to give to a need or go on a mission trip because of whatever reason, right, whatever excuse, it doesn't meet our needs in that moment, I want us to remember, well, our, if that, not every time you say that is because of sin, but if it is, that sin does affect others because you're removing yourself, your absence is felt, I feel it on a Sunday and other times when I'm gathering with you, right? So our sin, it affects others. Well, let's see what the sailors do in this moment. Verse 11, they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temp tempestuous. Now, that's a word. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. All right, so this is a pretty extreme action, but it's another moment that we see this parallel between Jonah and Jesus. If you're doing personal study on this, these are these little things where you want to make these notations on the side of your journal or a notebook. To, to anytime you see these parallels between the Old Testament and the New, or a character in the Old Testament and Jesus, I always find it health, uh, helpful to, to make these connections. And we, so we see that here. So Jesus, he willingly gave himself to suffer and to die that he might appease the divine wrath that is to come or to satisfy justice and to save men. So Jonah's very similar and he's saying, throw me in, y'all will be saved and then I will, you know, like, I will be the one to incur the wrath. But unlike Jonah and Jesus, Jonah, he was suffering for his own sins, right? Jesus, he suffered for our sins, for the sins of others. So Jesus willingly allowed himself to be hurled in order to save us. Jonah, he endured a storm caused by his own sin, but Christ endured a storm caused by others' sins. And then in a moment, we're gonna read how Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. But Christ, he was in the depths of Sheol for three days until resurrecting victorious. In fact, <clears throat> Uh, this morning I was reading out of Ephesians chapter one and it describes it this way, his resurrection. So such a great way of putting it. I wanted to read it this morning. At the end of Ephesians one, starting in verse 20, it says, 
Christ, when he raised from the dead and he was seated at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he puts all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So our Jesus, he resurrected victorious. So there are some parallels, but if anything, if they're not exactly, they're, they're more like uh, pictures for us to understand who Jesus is and what he did. So verse 13, did the crew throw him in right away? Did they throw Jonah in the water right away? No, they tried, let's just try another option real quick before we murder this man. So, let's, so it says this, nevertheless, they rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So the crew, they tried these other options. They didn't want to throw Jonah into the sea uh, because they knew it was likely death and they were praying uh, for God to show uh, them mercy in the sense of divine justice. You know, hey, God, you know we don't want to do this but he's the man of God. He's saying to do it. We tried other options. The sea's not calming down, so we're gonna, we're gonna trust you on this one, you know? Come through on us on, on this sort of step here. So in this story, the crew is, um, you know, they're sort of these characters. If you were to have a spectrum of, uh, of moral good versus evil, I feel like the crew is kind of in the middle of the characters in this story. So you have Jonah, the man of God the one who fears God, the Hebrew, the one who's the prophet. And we would say he is the morally upright, the one, the one who is, has peace with God, like spiritually, even though he's in this moment of disobedience. Then you have the crew kind of like, you know, in the middle here. And then you have the Ninevites who are just these like morally reprehensible people. And God is sending Jonah to go talk to them. So these people in the middle, this crew, like if you were to use a spectrum, it's these people in the middle that remind me a little bit of, uh, actually very much so, like Green County, like our, our own, like us at times, but definitely our neighbors and our friends. Because generally speaking, our neighbors are not as like morally bankrupt as the Ninevites were in these tests. Right? We're not like as bad as, and you start to compare, like not as bad as the cartel or ISIS, you know, or MS-13. And because you... Compare yourself against like really um, wicked gangs or other groups, you kind of feel like you're okay. Hey, I'm not as bad as that. Even if you murder someone, you're like, well, I just killed them. I didn't cut them up, you know, whatever it might be. And so you just, people tend to live in that world and they feel like they're okay before God. Well, let us not fall into the trap of this illusion that we are less guilty before God because we're not as bad as the guy to our left or our right or the person on the news. Romans 3, 22 says it this way, down to verse 25. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. 
So when it comes to our eternal standing, the comparison is not other people. It's not where you rank somewhere between Mother Teresa and Ted Bundy. It's about where's your stance before a holy God. You must ask, do you stand righteous before a just God? And the mere fact that you were born in the same bloodline as Adam and Eve means you're not. And you need God's mercy and his forgiveness. So this crew, they do remind me, I mean, of all the different characters in the story uh, and how they remind me of just the, you know, people that I'm around all the time in our town. It reminds me of the crew the most uh, in, in these certain ways. So verse 15, it continues. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. If you're taking notes, this is another time where hurled is used. And the sea, it ceased from its raging. I'm gonna pause here just to mention, if there is a sea raging within you today, you can make it stop by trusting in God. God can, tr- he can make that stop in an instant. His, and his work, it begins with your surrender. His work begins when you kind of say, all right, I'll, I'll tap out and you are the, you are the victorious one, kind of like the MMA fighting. If we recall, there's a very similar parallel to the story in Mark 4 where Jesus calms the sea, which I looked at a couple weeks ago, so I'm not gonna rehash that whole side. But it's wonderful whenever you see these miraculous moments that are very similar. And in this case, you have that with Jonah and then also when Jesus is with his disciples in the boat and the sea uh, is calm and the, the response of both the crew with Jonah and the disciples is the same. They fear the Lord greatly or exceedingly. So verse 16 says, then the men, they feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This reminds us just the fact that God used Jonah to help these men have a better understanding of who he is, it reminds us that God never wastes his plans. He not only got Jonah's attention, but he, he used this moment to capture the hearts of the crew. They personally who learned who the God of the Bible truly was through this. And so a moment ago, I mentioned the collateral damage in our life when we sin, our sin affects others. Well, friends, let's also remember that God's forgiveness to us and his redemption to us, it also affects others. And so don't just look at the negative side of things. Look at how your testimony of what God has done in your life and how you've received his forgiveness in the grandest sense of salvation. But then even in all these little moments where you have your little Jonah moments, every time you turn back to the Lord, God uses these moments of reconciliation to him to impact those around you who are either observing your life or are closest to you, particularly family members or children. You know, if you have kids and you have those moments where you not only, uh, you know, you have these moments where you uh, stepped out of line and you, over, you overdid it or you underdid it, you know, and you were either uh, too over the top in how you talk to them or how you act toward them or you have been absent for, well, as you make that right to God and as you confess that to others, you know, in the, in a small group or to pastoral staff or something. I also encourage you to share that with your kids, you know, share that, or with your spouse, the, the ones who are most directly affected by your inaction or action that was sinful, right? The sin of commission or omission, right? You did what you shouldn't do or you didn't do what you should do, that kind of stuff. Confess and share that with those who are around you. Because the work that God's done in your life in those moments, he uses it to bring that other person into a greater understanding of who God is. And at times, even this kind of like a crew moment, they have this ex- exceedingly 
fearful and a worshipful kind of way. And, and if you're like, well, I just don't wanna talk about that because it's embarrassing. You know what? Here's how I get over it. I think Satan knocked me down, but I'm not gonna stay down. I'm gonna punch him in the face by bringing God's glory to the best I can in this moment. Yeah, I messed up, but you know what? Let's let God's name and what he's done, it's already a higher banner, but let me at least like shout it and let us jump in that lane. And so for some of you, let your testimony and what Christ has done have the last word and not um, the failure there. Verse 17, it, it concludes this little section that we have for us today. It says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. Wow. We will look at Jonah's experience in the fish's digestive system next week. And that's going to be great. I'm very tempted to get some like smelly fish and put them in, the, in this barn. <laughs> but the series is two months away from owning it. And I don't think we can make the barn smell like fish. Because that would be real bad. And y'all don't, you know, you, don't like, you wouldn't like that anyway. But if you have fish this week and it's smelly, hey, just kind of think, prepare yourself. Take an extra whiff to prepare yourself for Sunday as we look at that next week. So today's text is a reminder that God is so full of mercy. Not, not just was full of mercy, but he continues to be so full of mercy that he will do whatever it takes to get our attention. Jonah had these three rounds. He had the storm. He had the crew. He had the fish. Even within these rounds, he had smaller moments, not only getting a ticket on the boat and the boat going you know, across the sea, but then even the lot falling on him and then a crew wanting to talk to him. I mean, all sorts of little moments here in addition to these large ones. Jonah had these, and I would suspect that we do too. And so let me just ask you, how well do you respond when God is trying to speak to you? As I asked earlier, if God sent a storm, would you listen? Or a captain's rebuke, would you wake up? Or a giant fish, would you realize it? Let's, let's put this in the present tense. If he's sending a storm in your life right now, do you even realize what's going on? If he's using somebody, and it really could be a sermon like this, or a friend, or a spouse, or a child, to give a rebuke, do you hear it, or is it just bouncing off? Or perhaps you'd even say, "I think I'm in the I think I'm in the belly of a fish right now. I mean, I think I'm in the I think I'm really in the in the lowest point that I've ever been in." Well, let me encourage you. Let me remind you of the depth of God's mercy. Because if you're sitting there in the, in the belly, and we're gonna look at that a lot more next week, but if that's where you're at right now, and you would say this is not coincidence, it's not just natural occurrences, it's not just like the lot of living in a broken world, being surrounded by people who are sinners and they've hurt you and, and um, the enemy's just attacking, but, but God has arranged certain events to get your attention. If that's where you are, then I encourage you very simply to take your eyes off of the circumstance and the situation that has you in, whatever the belly is, and to fix them directly 
and with the best focus you can get, just staring intently, fix it on Jesus Christ from what we read in Scripture. If, if you're like, oh, I just don't really know what that means, maybe begin by reading some of the gospel accounts. Uh, you could also read what I was reading in Ephesians 1 if you want to read. But if you just want to even allow your mind to think on it, in a moment we'll sing, Trenton, you and the team, how about you, or you and Christine, how about you guys come up here to lead us in this last song? As we sing, sing worship songs, we, we take our eyes off of whatever that situation is and we fix them on Christ and we, we remember with the best of our human ability that God's mercy is present. It has not run out. You haven't used it enough and you're like, Adam, but I'm in the belly for the 10th time in a week. Okay, well, stop doing that. But for many of us, we've all been there too. And so remember God's mercy. It is exceeding, it is present, it is there. And the fact that you are even attentive to the fact that God is getting your attention. Let me urge you to fix your eyes and attention and the posture of your heart on his mercy. And then not just see it at a glance, but receive it. Maybe you're saying, Adam, what does that mean? Great question. I don't want to use like churchy words that might make it confusing if you're not sure, but remember Jesus Christ dying on this cross, right? Here he is strung up on the thing, bleeding everywhere, and he's innocent, and people are cheering it on. And he's, he's talking to the thief to his left and to his right, and one guy's with it and one guy's not. And, uh, and he's up there for our, uh, to, to take the penalty of our sin. He's up there basically to carry God, uh, to take on God's wrath so we personally don't have to have some sort of spiritual crucifixion moment where we are incurring that wrath. So Jesus does all this stuff. And then he's begging us to receive that. So when we receive it, we place our faith that Jesus did die for our sin, but not just to give us salvation, but that we would be one with God, that we'd be brought into his family. And we can, we can abide with God. We can have oneness with God. It's a beautiful place to have when, you're, when you have a pure fellowship with your maker. And you walk in that. So then if you're in this spot where you're like, I've just been running and now I'm in a... a stinky belly. It's like, well, God's mercy hasn't run out. So receive it. It's right there. Ask him to fill your mind and your heart with the depth of his mercy. He often uses his word very specifically to just give truths. Sometimes he'll use worship or the exhortation of a believer to give you truths in, in like the, um, in a, you know, that just God's word to you. And you begin to allow yourself to receive that love. The same way that you might receive the love of a parent. And they are just saying, hey, come as you are. And so as we, as we sing here, I want to invite you to, uh, to receive God's mercy in whatever way that might be. Sort of a come as you are situation. 
Um, maybe you need to retake communion or take it again, um, like if you didn't earlier, to symbolically help you like actually process what God's doing. Maybe you'd like to come to the side. I wanna invite the prayer team to be available on the sides here and up front so we can pray with you if you would like to receive that. But if you're in a spot where you're saying, I just, I'm just in this thing and I don't know what to do, well, hey, there's no better place and safer place to receive God's mercy for you today. So let's, uh, let's receive that now as we sing.